Radio Maria England presents Padre's Hour, presented by Father Sam Randall. Welcome to Padre's Hour. Last week, we shared what Father Dominic Robinson and his volunteers at Farm Street Catholic Church in London are doing to help feed the homeless during this pandemic. Today, our producer, Helena Judd, was able to speak with Father Mike Brooks and Reverend Michael Womack from the West Suffolk Hospital Chaplaincy Team. And they're sharing how a chaplain serves the staff, doctors, nurses, patients and families at the hospital. Today I have with me Reverend Michael Womack and Father Mike Brooks here from the West Suffolk Hospital. No, they're not at the West Suffolk Hospital right now, but they're chaplains for the West Suffolk Hospital in Barrie St. Edmunds. And I'd love to really build a foundation for you listeners of what would typically be a day to day in the role of a chaplain before the pandemic. So how about we start with Reverend Michael Womack. Why don't you start with telling us who you are, what you do, and what was a day-to-day life as a chaplain for you like? Ah, well, yes, thank you, Helen, and thank you for having me on your programme. It's it's good to be with you, even in this rather extended, computerised way. Well, this this is a bit of a, a, a wild question to start with, because before COVID, uh, being Reverend Michael, I'm actually an Anglican priest, and I was actually involved in rural ministry amongst uh, seven churches in East Suffolk. Um, so, you know, my life was apparently one of, you know, working one day a week on a Sunday and drinking coffee all the time. Uh, I can assure you rural ministry is nothing like that. It's a lot of um, difficulties and worry about all sorts of things. But it was certainly a world removed from hospital chaplaincy uh, and the situation I find myself in. So I'm afraid I can't really tell you much about what chaplaincy was like a year ago, but I could tell you a lot about rural parish ministry from a year ago. Oh, well, you've got me hooked now. Yes. Yeah, just give, give, I'm like, oh, what was it? Like? Give us a short summary <laughs> now that I'm interested. <laughs> oh, you meant that. Sorry, I thought you were joking. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, well, as has often been discussed, one of the features of the Church of England is, frankly, it has too many churches. Um, we are slightly envious of Catholicism and it's it's admittedly large parishes, huge parishes, um, but people would attend mass, whereas in the Church of England, the priest has to run around. So I actually had seven very small rural parishes, a total population of 2,000 people. Uh, set against that, I think we had something like 5,000 pigs and 100,000 chickens. So it was a bit Franciscan in its ministry to all creation. But actually, all joking aside, a lot, a lot of my working day was spent driving off down muddy farm tracks to isolated farmhouses to, um, to talk with the farming community. I was very immersed in, in, in rural Suffolk and, and the farming cycle. In fact, on hindsight, I probably know a bit too much about farming and I've had detailed discussions about is a Frisian a better looking cow than a Charolais which probably most people don't dwell upon for long. Oh thank you Reverend Michael and now Father Mike Brooks is you are a chaplain and but you're also an assistant priest at a parish could you tell us about a little bit about yourself and what was day-to-day life uh, like as a chaplain before the pandemic? Certainly, and uh, good day to you and uh, uh, and to our listeners. Um, yes, I'm assistant parish priest uh, in Bury St Edmunds, where of course the West Suffolk Hospital uh, is located. And um, despite the the fact that anybody seeing me is perhaps just as well you can't see me, can only hear me, might be shocked to hear this amount of grey hair I have. Um, I'm only recently ordained. I'm what would, in the past at least, have been called a, a late vocation to priesthood. And prior to that, I was a for about 25 years which means that uh, hospital care and uh, looking after the sick and their friends and relatives and the staff is something that comes uh, very naturally. Great interest of mine, offering spiritual care to people was a direction that I was going in when I was still a nurse. This call to ordained ministry about 18 months ago. Part of my work here was to uh, attend the hospital, usually on a Monday morning. It would start about about nine o'clock and follow through until early afternoon. 
We would celebrate a mass in the hospital chapel prayer room. And also there will be visiting of people on wards where requests for uh, a, for a chaplain had been made. And uh, sometimes that also involved talking to staff who wanted some time with a chaplain. You'll understand that that has changed a great deal um, in the last 10 months or so. Basically, um, we were working with a, a large number of volunteers. There were half a dozen people um, who would um, come in with us, visit people, perhaps bring communion to people, sit and have a chat with them, support families and staff. Uh, it's a ministry that is very popular, I think, within the church. Most of us will have had an experience either of being ill ourselves or family or friends being severely ill and realising how your needs change during that time. And there were several uh, very faithful members of the parish here who worked very hard attending the hospital probably a couple of times a week. Uh, I think it was very much a vocation for them that this was something they felt called to do and therefore would carry out that work with um, great um, energy and uh, a great, uh, a very strong sense of prayerfulness and spirit, bringing that into the hospital. So part of my responsibility was to support and coordinate with those workers. Part of it was very much to let them get on with what they were good at, but to provide um, some kind of stability in terms of uh, the mass that was taking place at the hospital once a week, and also to provide those sacraments which are reserved to ordained ministers. Rarely this might involve um, baptism and confirmation. More commonly, it would involve people um, uh, entering into um, confession and receiving the sacrament of the sick. And this would be something done uh, both during the time I spent at the hospital on a regular basis and also on call, particularly when we're talking about people suddenly being admitted and perhaps being um, an, in, very, in a very serious state. That's when they would wish to have the sacrament of the sick. And if they were conscious and aware, quite often they would ask to have their confession and of course, with such urgent admissions, there was also the role of supporting the family, sometimes the staff as well. And in addition to that, um, we would more routinely, if that is the right word, also visit people who'd been admitted for surgery. Quite often, it is a, a desire that people have if they're going to have a serious operation to have their confession heard and receive the sacrament of the sick um, on the, the night before the surgery was about to take place. So it was um, it was possible to quite a lot of work in advance it was also necessary to react to what was happening on any given day and so we are on call 24 hours here at the, uh, the presbytery beautiful beautiful what what can i ask uh father mike what drew you i think you shared a little bit but what drew you into wanting to i mean does the bishop say father mike you're going to be a chaplain now or did you ask oh, oh i'd like to to serve this role there's a, there's a little bit of both, really. I mean, you are assigned to the parish to which you are assigned, and that is largely a decision by the bishop, although that would also involve him consulting some of the senior clergy. Ultimately, though, the decision is very much his. And uh, therefore, you might be sent to a parish where there is one particular kind of ministry. There's going to be a lot of that work there, and that's what you, you will do. When I came to the parish, to, to a large extent, I did say, well, I would like to be involved in the hospital because that was my background. And something an area where I feel that spiritual care has been lacking in the past. Um, that's to say, I think in recent decades, it's not been seen as a high priority because of a lot of hard work by people within the NHS and a recognition that spiritual care is something broader than simply attending religious services. I think a great deal of time and energy has been put in the last few years in those services. And we live in a better time now where spiritual needs are addressed. Now, as far as you know, what I would like to do in ministry and what I'm able to do, to a large extent, that is dictated by the place that you are sent to. And here in East Anglia Diocese, the, the Roman Catholic Diocese of East Anglia, it re you really have to be a bit of a generalist. It's uh, to a large extent, um, you will be um, working in schools, in prisons, in hospitals, as well as in the, the broader community and within the jurisdiction, depending on what the local needs are. But here we have quite a lot of hospitals, quite a lot of schools and quite a lot of prisons. So you do tend to be a bit. There are perhaps half a dozen clergy within the diocese who specialise in one of those areas to the exclusion of most other things. But that's fairly unusual. Um, I wasn't assigned to this parish so I could go and work in the hospital. 
But when I realised that there was hospital-based work, it was certainly something I wanted to be involved in and continue to want to be involved in. Providence, Providence. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yes. And now what about you, Reverend Michael? Working yeah. off on the farms, how did you get switched over from caring for the cows and the, sh and the sheep to taking care of other sheep? <laughs> oh yes, Helena, nice. I know. I just I I love to mention just then of Providence and and Father Mike agreeing because so often in life it is it is that guiding hand of God in working through Providence, isn't it? Yes. So picture the scene if you can. A year ago, um, I was just heading up to admittedly early retirement. Uh, you know, so I had all my plans of what you do when you retire, uh, you know, around the world cruise or whiling away the hours on the golf course or to be honest, <laughs> or to be honest in my case, a, um, a, a nice long train ride all across Europe. Uh, however, of course, COVID came along. So I don't know what people say to me, what's retirement like? And I say, I've got no idea because I don't really know if I've retired yet. Um, and then that guiding hand of providence i think i'm now retired yeah as in a retread on a car retired with a y um because you know things have happened as we all know things have changed in the whole world and in really what was very much a moment of um you know st paul uh, having his dream and the man from macedonia come saying come over come over to macedonia and help us it was really rather like that. Before that, St Paul had his ideas and plans of what he was going to do. And likewise, I had my ideas and plans of what I was going to do, but I was frustrated in those. And instead, um, I became aware that because of the current situation, an extra chaplain was needed at West Suffolk Hospital. And I think I thought, well, I've got quite a lot of parish ministry, if not hospital experience. Um, so I'm quite sort of pastorally adept. So it's been very much a, a come over to Macedonia and help us at this time. And, and so again, for me, it was very much Providence has, um, has come along and directed me to West Suffolk Hospital. I think having got there, and it's quite interesting listening to Father Mike as to what used to happen. Um, and I, I, I'll say this to, to hopefully encourage Father Mike. I do know from moving around the hospital that the staff really value the mass that you were able to do and the great delight that in that little glimmer in the autumn when there was sort of between the two different lockdowns, you actually got in to celebrate one mass, I believe. And that, Correct. Was, that was incredibly well received and very powerful and really, really worthwhile. Um, but I don't really know anything about how hospital chaplaincy is meant to work. Um, like Father Mike, I was a late vacation. I was actually on the railway for many years. Um, so I know nothing of hospitals. And actually, that's given me a very bizarre advantage. I know fire a bit you know, about pastoral situations, but I have no expectancies about how a hospital works. So I just deal with it as I find it. And if going on to a ward involves putting on you know, polythene aprons and visors and masks, then that's what we do. And, and I've talked to my son about this because he's actually a, a school, a, a, a chaplain in, in a private college. And likewise, because he's just come into it as COVID was beginning, he says he's actually finding it easy. Many of the established teachers, um, now we just deal with it. Again, it's the grace of God. We just deal with it as we find it. Um, and, that, and that's sort of how we roll along, really. We take it as it comes. Keep calm and carry on. Father Mike, what does your role seem to be like now? With the pandemic well unfortunately but inevitably uh, it is very different um um reverend michael uh, referred to the, the one mass we were able to do during the, the period between lockdown be able to do at least one mass a month that of course has gone by the by now because it's simply not a good idea to be inviting people into the hospital and uh, typically what used to happen was the volunteers who um, regularly came into the hospital sometimes patients who they were seeing on wards themselves and family members a few members of staff and a few faithful members of the parish who would make their way up to the hospital would be attending the mass. And we'd have 15 or 20 people there maybe in the uh, room, which was wonderful. That's not possible right now. Uh, movement around the hospital, never mind movement um, into the hospital from the outside is discouraged. So services are difficult to uh, to arrange. Most of my role now is either talking to people on the phone or via tablet if someone has requested to speak to a Catholic chaplain, 
more importantly, visiting people uh, if they are near to death. Frequently, they will be receiving the uh, anointing of the sick, the final blessings, uh, the apostolic pardon, which is the situation where a person effectively uh, receives reconciliation and confession without the need to even be conscious. So it is those last few moments. Often this involves arriving when a person is very near to death. Sometimes it is more a question of there is a fear that their life is ending and therefore they can receive these sacraments. That this may be part of what will save them, along with, of course, the professionalism and the skill of the staff. It is often very comforting to the person when they are conscious and able to know that this is happening. It's often very comforting. More often than not, family cannot be present. Although, as I'm sure people are aware, when um, uh, hospital patients are in danger of death, there relaxing of rules and people can go and visit them that's not an absolute but frequently it does happen now whereas in the past that was that was not considered to be practical so i think to be there and to perform the ancient sacramental rituals with the affected person and with the family and indeed as um, reverend michael has intimated some staff as well this is uh, a wonderfully powerful and uh, privileged ministry but unfortunately, uh, it's pretty much all we're able to do right now. As I say, sometimes we can talk to people on uh, on the phone or on a tablet if they want a broad chat. That doesn't happen so often. I think people aren't always aware that think they can avail themselves of. We're also supporting families and friends and carers who will be in touch with us here uh, at the parish, either on the phone or attending mass and other services and perhaps uh, it's, we get the opportunity to have a chat with them in safe conditions before or after services. But our role at the uh, actually physically at the hospital is very limited right now. The most important thing, of course, that we can do outside of that one on one contact, whether it's face to face on the Internet or on the on the phone, is uh, a ministry of prayer. Um, the, the whole reason for having a mass at the hospital, firstly, of course, was so that staff and patients could attend. But secondly, it was to bring that praying presence there, not only for the Catholic residents and staff in the hospital, but for the entire hospital, for other Christians, for members of other religions, for people who do not profess a religion. It was to be a praying presence. And something I said more than once is one of the things that fascinates me and excites me about hospital ministry is there is everything of life in a hospital. We often focus on the negative especially at the moment when so many people are so seriously ill and so many people are affected by that in a broader society. But in a hospital, along with death, serious illness, terrible news that people must take on board regarding their health, there are also wonderful things. There is good news. There, are, there is the birth of children. There is uh, the salvation of so many people through the professionalism of the staff and supporters at the hospital. It really is a place where everything happens and it's a great privilege to be part of that. And we should remember that even in the dreadful conditions that we find ourselves in now, with all the problems that the hospital staff and us as chaplains are having to face in terms of offering our services to others, wonderful things are still happening. Children are still being born, people are being cured, hope, and good news comes to many people and it's wonderful to be a part of that. This is Radio Maria England and I'm Helena and I'm helping out with Padre's Hour for this week. I'm speaking to chaplains from the West Suffolk Hospital in Barry St Edmunds. I've got Reverend Michael Womack here and Father Mike Brooks. So far, they've shared with me how the pandemic has changed their daily routines and affected so many people that they support. And I'm going to continue on because Father Mike just finished talking about uh, all the great work that the doctors and nurses and all the at staff at the NHS are doing still. Can, can you guys share with me what are some of the... What are some of the ways you're needing to support staff during this time? Well, firstly, I want to underline what, what Father Mike said just now uh, about there are still good things and lovely things happening in hospital um yeah because i am actually in the hospital i, I am allowed to visit uh, and it, it's still lovely and refreshing actually a number of people i go to see and they say oh it's good you came i'm being discharged today so you know people do come out of hospital um 
and of course you get the call uh, and you go up to ward you're never entirely sure what awaits you uh, and it was so lovely one day I was called up to the ward to, to say some some prayers with a, a young couple and their new baby and they were going home uh, and they just wanted to give thanks to God that everything had been resolved and the ba- their baby was fine. So there are still lovely things happening in hospitals. It's not a, a you know it's not a picture of unrelenting uh, gloom, so to speak. I think what has changed, um, chaplaincy in hospitals has always been for the patients, the family and the staff, anyone connected to the hospital in some way. Uh, and whilst a chaplain and chaplaincy is available for all those, those three groups, there was perhaps a, almost a, a priority, a hierarchy perhaps. Um, most of the, the ministry was with the patients, then the family, then the staff. Uh, so what has noticeably changed um, over this last year is almost that order has switched around. Um, the staff are really in the thick of it. Again, as Father Mike has said, they, they work with such good grace and professionalism. And perhaps um, they now we sort of spend more time with the staff, certainly more time than we used to. And, and perhaps the most of our time is actually ministering directly to the staff. And that's again, going back to it, why well, it was so lovely when Father Mike was able to celebrate the Mass. Uh, and then, of course, we still, to varying degrees and with differing bits of resourcefulness uh, uh, with the patients. Uh, families, because it's so hard for them to come into the hospital, are sort of the, the smallest, well, I don't want to sound managerial about this, but almost like the smallest segment, if you if you can sort of get hold of that idea. So in a way, who we minister to, who we who we are with, in the hospital is still those three groups, patients, family, staff. But I think we're now as much about supporting the staff. Um, and perhaps the greatest part is now staff support. Um, uh, be that either, you know, we're very fortunate at West Suffolk. Um, the way the chaplaincy area is arranged, we've got a, a very beautiful um, chapel area that we can use as kind of a, a prayer area. And you often see people just sitting there with their own prayers and meditations. We've got what I call the lounge, um, which is a far more sort of informal, uh, relaxed area. Uh, and actually, as the spring comes and the weather picks up, joy of joys, we've got a very tiny garden. So hopefully as we get deep into the spring, people will be able to get back out into our enclosed garden uh, and enjoy you know, sitting in creation and really sort of getting away from it for the, for the duration of their break. So... Yeah, I think that's how it's changed the most, is actually the, the priorities, the emphasis of our ministry in the hospital is increasingly towards the staff and always supporting them, trying to keep them going because they are the ones who are really under it in a way that I think the rest of us find very hard to imagine. I'm very lucky. I can, you know, if I finish work, I drive home. Uh, I take my dog for a walk in the fields. Uh, for the staff, it's far more intense, especially if they're living on site in accommodation. Uh, so it's about being available for the staff and the patients and the family. How uh, how have you guys, How what kind of support are you able to get? Is it mainly praying with them, scripture? What kind of support uh, do they find most useful? I think to a large oh, extent it would, it, it, it would be what the uh, the individual is asking for, really. I think you, you go along and you have a chat or you speak to them on the phone or... Um, if on for whatever reason I, I'm in the hospital and I've just been to visit somebody on a ward and um, I'm going to the chaplaincy to uh, create uh, to finish off some paperwork, you perhaps try and have a chat with people. Um, so it, it's whatever seems useful to the to the individual at the time. But as uh, as Reverend Michael says, the um, the space there is is for them, and they can use that space in the way that uh, is best for them. It's perhaps worth emphasising at this point. I've, re- I've referred to that room as the chaplaincy or sometimes as the chapel. It, I think the correct title in the hospital is the multi-faith room and prayer room because uh, it is used by um, Muslims. There is a, a prayer area for uh, for Muslim staff and uh, and patients and family. Um, uh, people of many religions, um, Judaism, Hinduism, uh, one could keep on listing religions, can all use that space for some peace and quiet. and. I think it's something very important to emphasise that throughout much of the NHS and the public sector now, there is a very good relationship both between 
different Christian churches, for instance, but also different religions as well. There is a strongly ecumenical flavour to what goes on in the sense that people are able to respect each other's beliefs, but also to say this is a space in which higher things we look at more complex things we look at our spiritual needs it's not simply about coming here and having a chat about the problems of what's going on in the hospital it's about looking to higher things and to uh, a different dimension that we all need to address and what can be provided for people is what they're going to ask for and perhaps if they aren't sure what they're asking for they simply know that they are in need want some kind of sustenance want some kind of that there is some purpose to what's going on, then uh, that when I say what's going on, I do not mean the illness, I mean the work that they are doing, um, then it's an opportunity to, um, to try and shape what you're doing, what the person wants and what they need. That might be praying with them. It might be a suggestion from scripture or a book. It might be about suggesting they talk about these issues with other people who are going through the same kind of things. A lot, a lot of it, I think, is that reassurance, something I've been doing a great deal in the last 10 months to a year. And I've had to sort of say this to myself as well as to lots of other people. Objectively, there are people suffering more than others. Perhaps you've suffered a bereavement, perhaps because of your work, like the hospital staff, you are right up against the coalface all the time. Perhaps you have major financial or business worries that are not abstract things. They are things along the line of how am I going to make a living in the future, amount of money. Perhaps I'm worried about losing my home, whatever it may be. There are people with all those major problems. And we should acknowledge if we are fortunate enough to be engaged with those difficulties, then, OK, we're doing well. But even for those of us who don't have those major existential problems, this has been an awful time with many challenges. And sometimes people are neglecting themselves in admitting that, yes, OK, there's people much worse off than me. But that actually doesn't obviate the fact that I'm having a pretty hard time, too. And we've got to be gentle to ourselves and with each other. That it's easy to look at someone and say, well, they haven't lost their home. They haven't lost anybody to the illness. Really, they've got nothing to complain about. It's not true. We've all got plenty to complain about right now. But complaining doesn't do very much, whereas supporting each other and acknowledging just how hard this burden is for everybody. I think that's the starting point. And to some extent, it's just giving permission to people to be stressed and unhappy, struggling at the moment, because particularly in caring professions, and I would include um, those of us who work in the church uh, in this respect, it's quite easy to say somehow I should just be coping with all these things, because after all, every day I see people with much bigger problems than me, and therefore the stresses are not so great. It's not so bad. Um, it's not true. I think we should all, at the moment, we should be starting from the position that nobody's having a good time right now. You're either having a bad time or you're having a very bad time. There's no good time right now. Thank you, Father Mike. That is so true. I needed to hear it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners needed to hear that as well. And and thank you for reminding us that we do have that permission, that we can be stressed. We can We can accept that and that's okay. Suffolk do you communicate with other chaplains and do you hear how's it going in other areas of the UK? Reverend Michael. (laughs) Okay to a degree yes (laughs) and I think that's very important Uh, you know human beings has often been set as social creatures and actually being able to share experience is is very important. Um, Father Mike's already mentioned St Nicholas Hospice which Again, your listeners may not be entirely aware of because it's a very small hospice, but it's actually on the same campus, the same site as West Suffolk Hospital, though it's a separate uh, charity. And and at one time, as Father Mike said as well, there used to be sort of quite a lot of um, movement um, uh, with, with with Reverend Sharon uh, and sort of yeah, cross fertilisation, a swapping of ideas, and we could get together and do that. Then, of course, during stage one, as we might call it, that was reduced to uh, we can meet on a bench halfway between the hospice and the hospital. And now uh, infection control and so on, it's it's all done by the by the um, the infamous Zoom meeting. And that's, you know, that's one of these things that is frustrating because it's just not the same as being able to be with someone in person and catch up all the information of their body language and so on. But again, it's one of these things It's better than nothing. 
and it has actually enabled us. I've been in um, sort of Zoom meetings with other chaplains with Father Mike, with Reverend Sharon, with people at uh, Ipswich and Colchester Hospital. Um, so we are able to share experience, um, swap ideas, support each other. Back to you know, this thought, because it, it made me think Father Mike must have sat in one of my funerals once, because every funeral I ever did in the parish at some point, I'd say, just be gentle on yourselves. These are hard times. Uh, it gives us as chaplains a chance to be sort of console each other. Um, but, and yes, likewise, talking to college chaplains that I know, um, there's a curious loneliness that we all increasingly work alone. Even in the hospital, we're now sort of on single manning, as it were, single staffing. Um, and so though we're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's very, very rare for more than one of the actual West Suffolk chaplains to be on site at the same time to minimise the risk. So on one hand, we live very lonely lives, like lots of us do, like any of your listeners who are shielding, for example, live a very lonely life. And yet we're very, so we're very dependent on the technology with all its limitations and frustrations and cats walking in front of the webcam to be able to, to remain human, to remain sociable and to support each other. But yes, I don't think there's anything particularly unique or exceptional in the experience of West Suffolk Hospital. I think it is the experience of chaplains um, all around the country. And I say that could be hospital, that could be prison, that could be school, could be a sports chaplain. Um, yeah, we have a, a shared experience at the moment, even in our um, isolation. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Father Mike, did you want to add anything to that? No, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. I mean, um, as, as it happens, um, the presbytery here in uh, Bury St. Elding, and I, therefore I share with, uh, with two other priests, but a lot of my um, fellow clergy uh, live on their own. And depending on how introverted or extroverted you are, that's more or less difficult. But I think even people who are uh, quite comfortable living on their own most of the time are finding it very hard right now because the content you have is very focused on work. Um, you see people at public services if public services are permitted and possible. You see people in extremis, um, people who are near to death or you're dealing with families who have suffered a bereavement. Uh, and many other things are either on hold and happening only in uh, smaller numbers or simply not happening at all. It's perhaps worth pointing out that uh, a lot of work is done with supporting families, both the sick, the, the dying at home as well. We do still have permission to go and visit people at home where it is deemed to be necessary because that is part of our work. The tools that uh, make things safer, social distancing, PPE, all the things that you would imagine we have to use. And we don't do anywhere near as much visiting as we used to do. It's a fraction of what we would have done. And therefore, a lot of our work is um, is committed to uh, um, over, the over, the, over the technology. The technology is a wonderful thing. I mean, yes, we can criticise it and we can say it's dehumanising. Uh, it, in many ways, it can be. But also the technology that we have is a wonderful way of keeping in touch. It's not a substitution for human contact. And I think many people, including clergy, um, really do suffer the lack. Just to make a, a, a point of interest, and I'm aware that this is something so many people could say, my family, my close family, my mother and uh, my, my immediate family live nearly 200 miles away. I've seen them once in 14 months. I think a, a lot of people will be in a similar situation, perhaps if they're an expatriate uh, working abroad, or if, like me, they live a fair distance away from family, it's just not possible to see them. But at least we can communicate via internet. But isolation, not just being on your own, but real isolation, loneliness, I think that is a real risk. And it's something that we should be aware of and be able to talk about. And I would guess that you could be working at the West Suffolk, 12-hour shifts, several days a week uh, at least, very little time off, perhaps living in the staff accommodation. And because of the pressures and because of the constraints in place, you could be terribly lonely even in the middle of a busy hospital. It's not difficult to feel that kind of isolation. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. Many of us like solitude. I certainly do. I don't think many of us like to be isolated. And it's not our choice. And I think we, it's, it's good for us to look around and say, um, who seems to be spending so little time with others? Who needs that kind of support? Oh, beautifully put, solitude is very different than self-isolation.
This is Radio Maria England and this is Padre's Hour and I'm Helena stepping in to help Father Sam out for this week and I've got Father Mike Brooks with me and Reverend Michael Womack as well from West Suffolk's Hospital in Barrie St Edmunds. We were talking about that hospitals are still places of life, still hope with newborns, with people being cured, with people leaving the hospital. Has the vaccine changed the dynamic or the atmosphere? For the people you've been supporting, uh, let's go with Reverend Michael. Um, to a degree, uh, I don't think it's changed the dynamic in the way that maybe the newspaper headlines. Uh, I, 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 I guess part of the characteristic of medical people is a certain caution and um, steadiness. I think the mood is lifting, lightening. And undoubtedly, the vaccine rollout is part of that. I think another part of it, though, is actually, um, you know, we've got 12 months more experience of dealing with COVID, obviously. Um, so actually, the medical sort of science and technology has progressed in leaps and bounds. And that also contributes a lot to sort of a lightening of the mood. I think another thing is just is actually professionalism. Uh, sometimes you just yeah, grit your teeth and get on with it. Um, yeah, you go home, reset, and go again. So there's um, lots of things going on. I don't. Yeah, the vaccine is of course good news, and again, it's another sort of aspect, another dimension of the, of the great medical work and research. What I do notice is um, when I'm in the hospital, and actually there's a big vaccination. Um, for all the staff and, and so forth in the administration building behind the main hospital. So from the car park, I walk past this on my way in in the morning and I walk past it on my way back to the car park in the evening. And um, every time, whichever way I'm coming in or going out, there's what I call the patient queue. There is a line of, um, you know, medical workers uh, of all sorts, all grades, all ages, just lined up very patiently waiting their turn to go in, get their vaccination. I mean, I have to say another sort of part of this, the throughput is colossal, the number of people being vaccinated just to, in, in that one administration block. And again, this is a, a whole, um, possibly a whole bevy of people involved in the administering that and organising all of that and stewarding the queue, keeping us all safe. Uh, and so there's something to you about that as well. We just stand there and literally wait in turn get attended to um, and go back. So there is a lightening of the mood, but there's certainly no complacency and there's no room for complacency. As I'm sure your listeners may well have picked up from the news in general, there's a lot of uncertainty about mutations, um, a lot of uncertainty about, all right, you might be vaccinated, but how does that actually affect, can you still carry the virus? Um, so, at one level, there's no dropping of the guard. We remain vigilant. You know, the, the daily orders are still the famous hands, face, space. Um, so, yes, you know, it's almost something of heaven, I suppose, the now and the not yet of it. The mood is lightening, uh, but there's no complacency. I say it's still a hands, face, space. And um, for now, sounding slightly sort of um, naval about it, we maintain heading and speed until we get a different order. Father Mike, any changes, any uplift, or still stay stay the course? I, I, I think it's it's very hard to to make that kind of an observation because um, what you might say the positive experiences uh, that we have at the moment with vaccines being available and the programs going pretty well that can be sort of undermined by the fact on the more tired the, the staff become and the more tired all of society and indeed the whole world becomes. So you might say that's a bit of a balancing act. I mean, certainly the vaccines are uh, a great thing. They will save many lives. But I think, as uh, Reverend Michael has said, uh, it is not a time to, to be complacent. Uh, it's simply a keeping going. I, I'm reminded of a prayer by uh, the great Jesuit theologian Karl Rahner, uh, what is translated from the German as his daily drudge. Gets up in the morning, starts his work, goes through his routines goes to to college, teaches there, comes home, goes through his prayer routines, does everything. And it sort of says this can become very uh, ordinary and very uninspiring and feel like a real drudge, not feel like here I am 
doing what uh, I chose to do, doing what I was called to do, doing the work for God that I believe God wants me to do. Instead, it just feels like a drudge. And saying even that feeling, the feeling that things are repetitive and unsatisfying and endless and tiring, even that is something we have to offer up to God. And I think I see this in a great many of the staff who may or may not practice a religion, who may or may not focus on these issues in a complex spiritual way. They may explain them to themselves in very different ways. But nevertheless, there is that sense of you just keep going and you offer this offer this up in the sense of this is the work I have to do. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said it's going to be satisfying every day. I do what I have to do and I get up in the morning and I do it again. And I think most of us at some stage in our life will have had that feeling. And at the moment, probably most of us full stop have that feeling. You wake up and maybe one of the first things that comes to your mind is the pandemic's still here and we're still dealing with it. But you just carry on and do what needs to be done. I am having to be reminded every day, like, yes, yes, offer it, offer it, offer it. And, and in a way that brings peace. In the future, I know you guys have said that there are volunteers as well, that it's not all ordained ministers serving and chaplaining. Perhaps this has planted a seed of, oh, maybe this is something I should be interested in. How would people go about finding out about how to help with the chaplaincy for their local NHS places? I think uh, you can always contact the chaplaincy direct and there will be a lead chaplain who obviously by definition only represents one church or one religious group, but they will be able to put you in touch with representatives of whatever church or religious group you belong to. And um, hopefully something positive can come from that. You can also simply approach your own minister, your own church, your own religious uh, place of worship and say, what do we do in terms of working with uh, the hospitals and working uh, with the sick and uh, get involved that way? All I can say is that, you know, uh, people will be delighted to hear from you. Probably right now is not the time in the sense that what uh, we're able to do, even as um, full time um, or uh, aid chaplains, never mind as volunteers, what we're able to do is limited. But keep this in mind, approach uh, a minister or a church and sort of saying it's something I'd like to be involved in later and seeing what can be done. And there are many opportunities to work with the chronically ill, to work with the housebound. It's all part of the, the same kind of ministry. But if you specifically want to get involved in a local hospital, in the first instance, uh, try and approach the, uh, the chaplaincy there and say, what could be done under normal circumstances and, and what can be done now? And most important, um, uh, prayer is what is needed. Prayer and an awareness, sympathy and support to the people entering into hospital or the people working there. Um, but prayer, both practical support and prayer is, is what is needed. Thank you, Father Mike. Reverend Michael, do you have anything to add to that? No, thank you, Helena. Yes, I, I think I'd underline everything that Father Mike has said, uh, especially he, he's very wise. Um, probably right now is not the time to contact your local NHS chaplaincy. I mean, our lead chaplain at West Suffolk, Father Roof, and can't be with us, uh, sadly, because he's actually in another Zoom meeting uh, with the volunteer manager. We're just trying to work out how we can get the existing volunteers uh, sort of back involved and on board um i mean it, it it takes a remarkable effort actually running a chaplaincy um the number on a number of people involved in in sort of normal running uh i i think i would say then so so keep for something in the long term always remember that if something's from god it will endure um so there'll be no harm in just sitting with it and, and biding your time uh i suspect many of my fellow chaplains would be very grateful if we brought this out and said yes as there's hospital work in NHS chaplaincy, there's indeed hospice work, uh, but there's also prison chaplaincy, schools chaplaincy. Uh, so actually, if you're a pastoral sort of uh, vocation, um, please just sit and, and, and well, pray with that some more uh, in the short term and, and let's just see how things develop and open up for you. Again, it might be, I hope your listeners aren't sitting there thinking, oh, well, of course, they're ministers, they tell us all to pray. But no, seriously, this is probably the most 
at the, right now, the most important thing you can do is pray and pray for just everyone from you know, from the government, from the prime minister, the health secretary. Uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to say all the way down, but you know, one of the big things we need in a hospital are porters and cleaners, the housekeeping staff, uh, and you know, if we have to keep them well and healthy, uh, as much actually to just keep the, the huge collective effort. So your prayers for everyone's safety and protection are invaluable. Uh, I might be about to unleash a, a torrent um, of knitting at this point, but if you're absolutely desperate to do something right now, if your fingers are literally itching, have you thought about knitting? Uh, this is a bit left field, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, but I'm, I'm listening and I'm following along. Go for it, go for it. Downloading a pattern. Now, I'll, and, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll expand on this, now I've got your attention, Helena. Uh, of course, life goes on in the hospital. We have our wonderful Macmillan nurses still, and our Macmillan unit. And I'm sure your listeners know all about Macmillan as being sort of the cancer specialists. Uh, and one of the things they still continue to do is someone's you know, in advanced stages of cancer. They take them a, a lovely knitted blanket to um, to comfort them with. And also they make the most wonderful teddy bears, knitted teddy bears, which are some, in some clever way infused with lavender, which, of course, is a very relaxing, calming scent. It's well known for this. So if you can knit and you're desperate to be sort of active now, um, please can I suggest you contact your, your sort of local Macmillan nurses and centre and ask them, do they want any blankets or teddy bears knitting? Uh, I'm sorry for those of us like me who, who have no chance of ever learning to knit in our lives. Um, but for the rest of us, let's just keep praying, shall we? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just say something uh, briefly as well. And th this could be overstated. I think I think we now said it twice already. So for the for the third time, yes, this isn't the right time to be in so many things. Uh, we have to pick and choose the things that we can do at the moment. And actually physically visiting people is going to be very limited, both in hospitals and in the community. But if I have one hope for the pandemic, and I do not mean to make some crass statement along the lines of uh, whatever terrible things have come out of the basically it's been a good thing after all because this has happened. I'm not making some such bland statement. Uh, one has to hope that good things can come from out of a terrible thing that's affecting the whole world. And it does seem to me that there are probably lots of people out there who are carrying out one particular kind of job or carrying out work who, because of uh, the COVID pandemic, have started supporting neighbours, friends, other people, doing bits of voluntary work and have realised that perhaps this is something they want to do more of. Maybe it's even something they want to make a career of. Perhaps people will be turned to caring work, to working in the NHS as a consequence of their experiences during the pandemic. This includes work in the church. There's a great deal of work in the churches and in faith communities that needs to be done. And chaplaincy work in hospitals, in prisons, in many other places is one area, oddly enough, where there is a prospect even of employment for lay people, not just or for people who've done previous trainings. And it's something for people to consider if they want to do full-time work in the church to which they belong. I don't want to make promise that whichever church you belong to there must be lots of paid positions in these things that's probably unlikely but there are opportunities to do work and chaplaincy is such a broad word which has so many different meanings but ultimately it's about working with people and it's about working with people within your own faith beliefs and that's a great opportunity whether it's something you can do occasionally something you can do more broadly the time and the energy and maybe even something to to consider doing uh, doing as a career um it's wonderfully satisfying at the same time it's very demanding but all the good things are demanding as it's an opportunity for people to live out their faith whatever that faith may be Thank you so much, Father Mike and Reverend Michael. Now, before we end, could we end in prayer? And now I've got Father Mike and Reverend Michael. So how about let's go with uh, Reverend Michael, if you could start us in prayer. And then Father Mike, could you end us in prayer? 
and Father Mike touched upon us of the great comfort of the tradition of the church. And because we are East Anglians, I've done a lot of revisiting and re-exploring the life of Lady Julian of Norwich, uh, famous for living through a plague. Um, so I thought she probably has something to say to us about life in a time of pandemic. And she had a series of revelations, uh, visions, showings when she was very close to death. In fact, people thought she was going to die. Uh, and anyhow, early on in, in her record of these uh, visions, she has a prayer. Uh, not surprisingly, it's just known as Julian's Prayer. But I think for every situation and stage of life, it's a very beautiful prayer for all of us. So I bring for you Lady Julian's Prayer. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. And I may ask nothing that gives less than full worship to you. For if I ask for anything less, I shall be always in want. Only in you do I have all. God of your goodness, give me yourself. Amen. Lady Julian is the reason that I've ended up here in uh, East Anglia. So um, uh, <laughs> relationship with this part of the world to which I am not a native really began with uh, with Julian of Norwich. So that's that's so wonderful to uh, to hear that lovely prayer. Um, I'm going to quote from scripture very briefly. Um, my favourite book of the, the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of the great messages of these, tired though the author often sounds, and rather despairing though he sometimes sounds, one of the great messages is that the thing that's happened that hasn't happened before and that will not happen again. A generation goes, a generation comes, yet the earth stands firm forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, then to its place it speeds, and there it rises. South wind then turns to the north, it turns and turns again. Back then to its circling goes the wind. In all the rivers go, and yet the sea is never filled, and still to their goal the rivers go. However difficult we're going through now is, humanity has survived these kind of events before. It survived them by being close to be close to God. There has to be hope. There is hope at the moment, but there is no particular end in sight either. If we stay close to each other, if we stay close to God and to those things in which we firmly believe, we can continue to walk the very difficult path that we're walking right now. Lord in heaven, be with us today and every day be with those facing the most difficult of trials and let us be instruments of your peace lord hear our prayer amen thank you for joining us for padres hour I do encourage you to send in your stories, especially if you are a chaplain or a member of the chaplain's team. We'd love to have you on our radio and to share the support you give and to pray for you and with you. You can email us at info at And please do join me again next week for Padres Hour. God bless. <laughs>